0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Uh, We're going to continue this week with our series called Parables. This parable is often called uh, the parable of the sower. But once we read it, I think you'll agree that it would be more appropriately named the parable of the four soils. Uh, We're going to read together verses 4 through 15 in Luke 8. And uh, we'll see what it is the Lord would say to us, okay? So I'm in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Here we go. When a large crowd was coming together... And those from the various cities were journeying to him. He spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples begin questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Amen. Here, uh, what we have is not only the the delightful privilege of another another parable from Jesus, um, but also we have his explanation of it. We don't always get that when he... um, teaches in the form of a parable. So I'm really glad that the disciples here were humble enough to ask questions uh, and dialogue about it instead of pretending that they understood it. Um, because had they not asked Jesus about this, I'm not sure we would have gotten this extra explanation from him. And I think with this parable specifically, we needed Jesus to elaborate a little bit. There's a lot of ways you could have went with that parable about four different soils, and a lot of ways you could have understood it. I'm glad the disciples had that humility and said, hey, Jesus, I'm not totally sure what you meant by that. Do you mind expounding? And he did. So I'm glad that we get to uh, peek into that conversation. Um. You know, there's another place that you can ask questions and answer questions and dialogue about the scriptures and humbly engage with other Christians. Anybody know where that's at? That's at community groups. That's exactly right. I love this church. You guys are getting it. Amen. You know I'm going to sneak it in there, so hallelujah. We can move on now. Um, Here's the thing. Before we get started, I want to let you know that we're going to punt on verses 8 through 10. Okay, That's where it kind of talks about the nature of the parable and what the point of parables are. That's going to fit very neatly into next week's parable about uh, the lamp. And so just kind of stick that, those couple verses, in a mental parking space if you have any open. And uh, we'll hit it next week. Uh, the first thing that we should notice... Uh, is Jesus is describing in this parable the current situation he's in, right? So he's the sower, and he's sowing the same word into everyone, this large crowd, uh, and he says that there's going to be four drastically different results based on the soil of their heart. And I just want to call to your attention that the fact that he's telling a parable to all of the people right then about what's going on is kind of funny, is it not? Because... Most of them, if not all of them, like didn't know that's what he was doing. So there's, I, I see humor in that. Um, and, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, to give you an example, I don't know, some of you, you may be a bit too old to know this, or some of you might be a bit too young, but there was a guy named Tom Green, okay? And he had this form of comedy where he would go out, and he'd put on a cowboy hat, and he would take an acoustic guitar, and he would go out on the street, and he would do this thing called observational humor, where he would just kind of strum the guitar, and he would sing about people that were walking by. Like, you know, for example, I got a gray shirt on, it's got red straps, and I got a hat, right? So he would be doing that to a guy like Joey. And so it's funny, because there was, like, oftentimes four different responses to that. Like, people, somebody would get angry, sometimes people would, like, jump in and laugh along, sometimes people would, you know, just be offended, some people would be shocked, so... Um, it's kind of funny, Jesus is doing the same thing. He doesn't have a cowboy hat or an acoustic guitar as far as the word tells us, but he's like, he's, he's talking about the people that he's telling the parable to, like you are these four potential soils, and most of them are just going, okay, there's seed, I got that part, all right, so what's going on with these soils? Many of them are not figuring out that that's who they're talking about, and so, um, so most of you have, were probably way too spiritual in the late 90s to have anything to do with Tom Green, so that, that analogy might have gone right over your head. But this is funny. Um, for Jesus to be talking about the situation that everybody's currently in, and he's probably the only one that knows that that's actually what's going on. So uh, there is humor in the Bible if you know where to find it. Uh, I'm not sure if Tom Green got his gig from this parable of the four soils, but it's possible. If somebody wants to search that out, uh, get me the info. Um, So he's describing the current situation that he's in. Um, And so the the seed is the word of God, right? Um, So as we begin to take apart here uh, Jesus' explanation, uh, we'll just take that piece by piece. And he says, starting in verse 11, that the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And uh, Peter picked up on that thought in 1 um, 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. He said this, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. And so again, we see the word of God compared to a seed there, Uh, and that word's going to have four potential effects based on the soil or the heart condition of the hearer, okay? Okay? Uh, And so we want to understand that much of what determines fruitfulness when it comes to the preaching of the word has more to do with the hearer than the preacher. There are preachers that are not good. You might be thinking, yes, buddy, I know, I'm hearing that right now. That's okay. But the bottom line is, if the Bible is opened and somebody talks about these precious scriptures that are the very seed of life that lead to the The salvation of mankind, there should be excitement in it. I don't care how bad the guy is that's reading it. There should be something that can be got from it. It has much to do with what's going on in here. What kind of soil is that seed being sown into, right? And so we'll start taking apart what Jesus had to say about that. He gives us four potential soils. The first is the soil that is right alongside the path or the road. Uh, The heart represented by the soil along the path is one that has been trampled and hardened and packed so tightly that the seed cannot take root in it. Uh, as we ponder the implications of this, I want you to first hear the words of Alexander McLaren. He was an English preacher with Scottish descent, um, and he preached in the late 1800s. And to give you an idea of like his angle, uh, he used to go into his study to prepare for sermons or study the word he also wrote, um, A commentary called uh, McLaren's Expositions, and so if you write a commentary, you're obviously already um, pretty serious, but he would go into his study, he would kick off his slippers, and he would put on heavy outdoor work boots to sit at his desk and study the Word just to constantly remind himself of the intense labor it was going to be to go in and rightly divide God's Word, and so uh, clearly I respect him because I'm a meathead, so I think he's awesome, and so I think you should listen to what he has to say, Okay. Um, clearly he was serious about God's word. I got a lot of respect for that. We could use more men that take this seriously. That this is not just some, you know, book of suggestions that maybe if I, you know, twist what's in it enough, I can make a living for myself and and maybe profit off uh, shearing the sheep. This is clearly not what the attitude this guy had. Um, He was known as uh, the prince of expositional preachers. And so I just... I think what he has to say merits our attention. He says this, a heart across which all manner of other thoughts have right of way will remain unaffected by the voice of Jesus. If, In the way he said it, he's saying, even if he spoke his sweetest, divinest tones, still more when he speaks but through some feeble man. The listener hears the words, but they never get farther than the drum of his ear. They lie on the surface of his soul, which is beaten hard and is non-receptive. How many there are who have been listening to the preaching of the gospel, which is in a true sense the sowing of the seed all their lives that have never really been in contact with it? Tramp, tramp, go, the feet across the path. Heavy wagons of business, light carriages of pleasure, a never-ending stream of traffic and noise like that which pours day and night through the streets of a great city, and the result is complete insensibility to Christ's voice. If one could uncover the hearts of a congregation, how many of them would be seen to be occupied with the business or pleasures or some favorite pursuit, even while they sit decorously in their pews? How many of them hear the preacher's voice without one answering thought or emotion? How many could not for their lives tell what his last sentence was? No marvel then that as soon as its last sound has ceased, down pounce a whole flock of light-winged fancies and occupations and carry off the poor fragments of what had been so imperfectly heard. One wonders what percentage of remembrances of a sermon is driven out of the hearers' heads in the first five minutes of their walk home by the purely secular conversation into which they plunge so eagerly. The fun thing about quoting dead guys is, you could be mad at him because I didn't really say all that, but if you understood what was going on there, the language is a little bit different than we would use today, but if you're catching the gist of what he has to say, bottom line is that's a big check yourself, right? Um, because oftentimes what we've done today, because we have bought into this consumeristic model of Christianity is, that what should happen is you should come here and critique me based on how funny I am, how articulate I am, how many times did I mess up, does it seem like I know what I'm talking about. And really, the whole point of this Four Soils and really McLaren's point is, the bottom line is, the major thing that should be, that should be happening here is the Spirit of God critiquing you. Not you so much judging me on how good or bad I am. And that's, I, I oftentimes realize, because I'm my harshest critic, like I, I would retreat to McLaren's words here because ultimately I realize that I am the feeble man that's discussed here and so the only thing I have to cling to many times is that God has promised to take over and speak through me, through his word and that is what I desperately pray for every time I step behind this pulpit because I am so completely aware of how inadequate what I have to say would be and so my great prayer is that God by his spirit would illuminate the scriptures uh, and plant seed into your heart and would find fertile soil there. You'll often hear me pray along those lines um, because whether I'm going out to do outreach or I'm about to stand up here and presume to teach the word to you, uh, two things need to be going on. The Holy Spirit needs to be at work being that, that sower of seed and our hearts have to be soft soil or else the whole thing's really in vain. The hard soil along the path is also the easiest for Satan to undo the work of the Word. Do you notice that? Uh, It says that pretty much that seed falls on that hard-packed soil. There's no need for Satan to come with temptation. All he needs to do is pretty much walk along that path. It uses the example of birds coming and swooping and taking that seed, but he can pretty much walk along and cackle at our foolishness, picking up that seed that God would have wanted into our hearts. Very little work involved in taking away from a hardened heart, or that hard soil, the word of God. It's very easy for an enemy to do that. Uh, he can just pick it right up off that hard ground, unlike the rocky soil where at least he has to come because there's a small root established and, and he has to use temptation um, and deception. deception. Uh, so here's the question that comes out of this if we're thinking through this. What causes a heart to be hardened like trampled soil along the road? Because clearly the implication here is first part Jesus, and here's the other tragedy, and here's the difficult thing. I, I can just imagine the heaviness of the heart of Christ as he's giving this parable because there's, there's three potential bad soils and only one good. So there's a lot of ways that we can get in trouble with the way we become receivers of God's word and, and really only one right way to do it. And so the pitfalls are many, but that's why we need to pay attention to this. Um, there, there's likely... Um, Many potential causes for a hardened heart, there's probably more ways than what I'm going to mention that this can happen, but I'm going to give you the two that I believe are most prevalent, reasons why we end up with a hardened heart that is not able to receive the seed of the word of God, okay? The first, anybody want to guess? Pride, somebody say that, ding, 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 you got it. This guy only knows two words, love and pride, that's not true, but they're important, and here's the bottom line. Pride will harden your heart, flat out. Um, Pride comes in many ways and forms, but when we become certain of our own incredible intellect, spiritual maturity, and all-around awesomeness, it is like covering the soil of our heart with concrete, and no seed can take root there. When we become prideful, our ears become closed. It is the most dangerous spiritual position to be in as somebody that is prideful. It's the sin that got everything kicked off And it's the sin that has been woven through every other sense. You understand what I mean when I say that? Pride is in every deviation from God's will and God's word. It's always there. And it is one of the number one ways that the human heart hardens itself to the instruction, encouragement, or correction of God's word by his spirit. Guard yourselves from pride, dear ones, please. Please understand the warning comes almost weekly because it's warranted. Do you understand that? It's serious. Don't be prideful. Be humble. Amen. The second way that um, hearts become like that hardened, packed dirt that will not receive the seed of the word is through hurt and offense. Sometimes people's hearts are hard because they've been trampled on a lot. The most basic human response to being hurt violated and let down by other people is to harden yourself and cover the soil of your heart with hard layers of hate and anger so no one can get in there and hurt you again. If this is you, please hear me. Please hear me, dear one. I promise you, I know why that feels safe. And it can seem like it would be better to feel nothing rather than to feel the hurt of abuse or betrayal once more. I did that. That's why I can speak confidently about it. That was me. My heart was the first soil. But what Jesus did when he conquered me is he helped me to realize that if I live like that, I wasn't only blocking out bad things like pain and hurt, but I was also blocking out all of the good things like love and real friendship. You can't harden your heart and, and then pick and choose what comes in. When you do that, you block out everything and it's a miserable way to live. I realize you might see me as unqualified to speak on a lot of subjects, but on this subject, I'm fully qualified. I promise. I did this. I lived this. I remember what it felt like. What God did is he used the hurt of others to conjure in me compassion and to show me my own condition, to help me understand what was going on in me, uh, and to get me to focus less on my own pain and my own past And quit getting me, get me to quit living in miserable self pity. Uh, Jesus convinced me of his love for me by teaching me how to love others. Um, I'll just shortly share with you. I'm sure God was doing things in my heart, but the the time that I remember the most being broken of this tendency to harden my heart so as to be protected from pain. Um, I was. I was 16 years old and uh, I was working at a uh, kids camp, a Christian kids camp in Oklahoma. And um, I had been hired to come there. And based on like outward appearance and behavior, I probably, it was probably okay that I was there. But I'm just telling you right now that where my heart was still at, um, I guess God knew what was going on, but I probably shouldn't have been trusted with other people's kids, not because I would hurt them or anything. I just wasn't. I wasn't in a place of relationship enough with Jesus that I should have been trusted to try to lead little kids to go there as well. But the funny thing is, the very first bunk of kids that I had, this was down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm from a very small town in Illinois, surrounded by corn on one side and the Mississippi River on another. And my very first bunk of kids are from the absolute urban core of Detroit. And so... um, not everybody from the urban core of large cities has difficult lives, but these kids really did. And so here I am, white as can be, corn-fed hillbilly from Illinois, and my first bunk of kids is 12 to 14, you know, 6 to 10-year-olds that are from the urban core of Detroit. Rough as can be. I, my belt was missing within 15 minutes. That's the God's honest truth. And so, just to give you an idea of how it started, and so, um, and I think within about two hours, I had my own rapper name. It was Snowflake. Um, and uh, within, within four hours, I had a bandana, and um, we were walking around the camp, going from activity to activity, uh, making beats and, and our own raps and stuff, and so... Uh, Somehow, by God's provident grace, we became fast friends. But what I, what God did, part of what we would do as counselors at that kids' camp was, um, we would go around every night and we would pray with each kid before bed. And um, what I began to understand through that, as as I would hear their stories and hear their prayer requests, was uh, just how really seriously broken that these kids were, and it manifested itself in different ways than my brokenness did. The, Stories had slight variance, but the pain was very familiar, and I realized that they were doing a lot of the same things I was doing as far as blocking out everybody. They, they didn't really experience love because they'd been hurt so much that they weren't willing to be vulnerable enough to feel love, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm just telling you that, that God broke me through that experience through teaching me how to love these kids that... By no way in the natural should I have had any way to relate to them, but God just destroyed all of that and pushed it out of the way, and that was probably one of the, the best bunks of kids I had in two years of being a counselor, just because, um, I don't know, it, God taught me to love them and them to love me, and I think... All of us learned something really deep and profound through that. And so, uh, from that point on, my heart was melted, and that's when I became like an empathetic softy that can't talk about Jesus without tears welling up in my eyes. So, prior to that, I'd like to hit you as soon to talk to you. I hated everybody. I liked, I would go into situations and try to instigate things because, like, I didn't know how else to relate to people, so that, like, if, well... What do you guys want to do? Let's go get in a fight. Okay. So like, that's the kind of sick weirdness that I lived with. It was all an outflowing and manifestation of a very hard-packed, desperate heart. And um, I'm just saying, if that's you, please, don't leave it that way and just think it's going to be okay. It's not going to soften on its own. You're going to have to throw yourself on the mercy of God you're going to need his help. If you are that hard soil, it's going to be almost impossible for you to till it up yourself. You're going to need to pray and ask God, who is the master planter, to come and break that hard surface and soften the soil of your heart again. You're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. You also very likely need to involve others in that process and let them love you and pray for you. You hear what I'm saying? If you're in the hard heart spot right now, you're trying everything you can to, to explain away everything I just said because you've gotten very comfortable where you're at and you feel safe where you're at, but you're not safe, you're in deep trouble because you are closed off not only from other people that could hurt you, but from the God that loves you. So please stop today. Ask for God to help you harden your heart. It is gonna make you vulnerable. It is gonna make you open to being able to be hurt again. And I understand that you've done a lot of work to get out of that position, but you need to get back to it. There will be chance to be let down. There will be chance to be offended. You're going to be broken because you're open and soft enough for somebody to get in close to you. But it's worth it because the, the alternative, the other way, is a miserable existence, devoid of real relationship with people or the God that loves you. So stop today. I love you. That's why I'm saying That's why I'm pushing you on it. It's no way to live. Trust me. So Jesus talks about that trampled down hard soil that's uh, next to the path, and then he talks about the rocky soil. Now, some think there's some debate about what rocky soil means. Some think um, his reference is to like soil that has a bunch of rocks in it, which based on the way the language goes, that's kind of what I first thought of. But in studying it, um, there are others, and these are the folks that I would agree with, that believe this is a reference to a place in a a hilly field, especially like where they were at, where there's a rocky surface or kind of a rocky shelf that's just a few inches underneath the soil. And so what you end up is with obviously very shallow dirt. Um, And I believe this because of the description of what happens in the soil. When you begin to see what it is Jesus describes in the situation, um, it seems to be that that's what he was talking about. Now, uh, shallow, loose soil, like if you were to just take some dirt and toss it on your concrete steps, and it's just, you know, yay deep, you can get something to grow in that. Um, It's annoying, actually, right? Because in the fall, like, leaves fall down, there's, like, dirt on on your steps and stuff, and if you don't take care of that, like, all of a sudden, you've got little plants growing. Like, you can't get them to grow in your flower beds where you want them to, but they'll sure grow on the steps or in the cracks in between or all that. Yeah, I'm frustrated about my landscaping, guys, okay? I'm just trying to be open here. I need you to empathize, all right? Don't be hard-hearted. Pray for me and my landscaping issues. Um, But shallow, loose soil, it'll allow for quick germination because the soil will warm up quickly, and it'll be a good kind of situation for that seed to sprout. So you'll get quick growth, but there's not enough soil for a deep root, and when the sun comes, it's going to scorch the plant because it won't be able to draw enough nutrients to sustain itself, or um, wind and rains can uproot it very quickly because it doesn't have a strong root holding it in, to that soil, And so many times um, people will hear the word and get real excited about it. But like a flash in a pan, the excitement is gone very quickly. And they're back to the same sin and disobedience they were before. Some of you may experience or have experienced that before. Um, the preaching of the word, it, it breaks you. It breaks you down and you respond during communion with repentance. And in those moments, you feel an iron-like resolve to change. But you get out of the door of the building and here comes those familiar temptations and within an hour, everything's the way it was. The way to deepen the soil of your heart that you may stand against those inevitable temptations and that onslaught of deception that's going to come and try to steal the uh, seed away, the way you deepen that soil in your heart is to know the sower. The sower. Uh, we see an example of how to deal with temptation um, by somebody who is perfect at everything and thus resisting temptation as well. Uh, King Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he beat back the clever lies of the enemy over and over with the truth. Every single deception that uh, the devil brought, every time the enemy tried to tempt him, he answered back with, It is written. The devil said to him, turn these stones to bread. You're hungry, man. You've been fasting a long time. Turn these stones to bread. be easy. Just do it. And here's his answer. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What's he pushed back with? A special spiritual word that he got from somebody? No. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Satan says to him, worship me, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He takes him up to a high spot, and it's like, you know, Simba and his dad, right? (laughs) Everything the light touches is your kingdom. Like the devil's trying to tell Jesus, I'm going to give you all this. You just need to bow down and worship me. And uh, here's his answer. He says, get away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, some of you are waiting for God to come give a special word or revelation or prophecy to get you out of the cycle you're in this cycle of having rocky soil where you get excited, you, you desire to obey God, but then somehow again and again the temptations of the world, they come and they, they crush that little sapling or they uproot it. Uh, and, and you feel like you need something extra, something special from God to get out of that. But if you've been in this shallow, rocky soil, uh, getting quickly excited but easily distracted, what you may need to do is move yourself um, out of that rocky, shallow area and get yourself into some good, deep soil. God can and will speak to us by his Holy Spirit. Please don't misunderstand me. And He'll sometimes he'll do that through others. I absolutely believe that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation today, that God, if he wants to visit you in a dream, he might give you a vision, he may give a, a word for you um, to somebody and, and speak into your life that way. Those are all very valid and clearly scriptural. But the problem is, we feel like that's the only way that God's going to talk to me about my problem, it puts us in a very sinful situation. Um, We see that Jesus didn't stop and ask God for some special new revelation to battle the tempter in the wilderness. He appealed to the glorious, powerful truth of the written word of God. That's where he went. He didn't need... God to light a bush on fire like he did for Moses, like, hey, we need to huddle up here real quick because Satan's throwing this stuff at me here and I don't know what to do. Why was Jesus prepared to handle the devil himself in the wilderness? Because he knew what was written. The word of God was rooted deep in his heart and he was able to fight back with it. He was able to push back against the lies of the devil with the truth. There's nothing wrong with desiring God to speak to you through prophecy or some other Um, special word. There absolutely is nothing wrong with that, and that is valid. I have had God speak to me that way, and it's been formative and instructive for my life. But every day, in and out, I need to know what's written, because temptations are going to come when I set one foot out that door and head to my truck. Will it not? Am I the only one that experiences that situation? No, temptations are many. We need to know what's written, that's the way we push back. Chasing miracles and experiences and so-called manifestations of God's spirit will ever be shallow, rocky soil. A relationship with King Jesus and his people based on trust and faith in the beautiful truth he's revealed in his word is rich, fertile soil to grow in. Do you see that? Do you see the difference? We can get in trouble the other way. We need to desperately be hungry for God's word. And we need to know it. Our heart needs to be filled with it. The next kind of soil that uh, Jesus talks about is soil that has thorns. Um, What's interesting here is sometimes Satan doesn't even need to be involved for the word of God to be choked out. Uh, The tempter need not even come as far as the thorny soil is concerned. Sometimes there's things already in the soil when the word of God is planted that are waiting there to choke out that word. Um, two of the three things are warnings to those that have plenty, um, but the first one is worries. So Jesus lists three things, these three thorns. Um, He says that uh, they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. This is verse 14. And so... Uh, as far as the worries is concerned, the other two things, the, they're warnings to people that are fairly comfortable and have stuff, uh, but both rich and poor can worry. And so some people would want to jump into this and see that two of the three has to do with um, nasty old rich people. We just need to remember that uh, the Bible talks about four people as it pertains to wealth. There are, there are righteous poor people and there are wicked poor people. There are righteous rich people and there are wicked rich people. There are many warnings in the Scriptures, yes, about the difficulty that comes in having much because of your tendency to make your wealth an idol, and so we need to be aware of that, yes. Some of you would instantly dismiss the warnings to the rich because in your mind you would go straight to saying, well, that can't be me. Thankfully, I'm on the poor side, so it's going to be easier for me to be a Christian. I would just say to you, You might be right, but just consider a couple points here before you make that assessment about where you belong on the spectrum of wealth. Um, There's 6.8 billion people in the world, okay? So we're coming up on 7 billion people. 1.4 billion or just 20%, that's one-fifth. So I gave you all the potential breakdowns there, whichever one tickles your fancy. Uh, 20% of people own a television in the world, okay? 17% own a refrigerator, 10% 10% own a car. And while the average annual household income, so that's calculates households that have two people working, all, all the deal, the average annual household income in the United States is roughly $44,000. The average household income in Liberia is around $800. Okay? The very fact that you are here in the good old U.S. of A., means you should probably pay attention when the Bible warns about the pitfalls of being rich and comfortable. You may not feel rich and comfortable. I understand that. Because we are surrounded by a culture that paints a picture of, you know, they're always giving you the picture of the next steps. So you can keep chasing that idol of status or whatever it is, whatever that looks like in your own mind. Um, but the reality is um, here in America, the vast majority of us, if you take if you measure based on the arc of everybody in the world, we are extremely wealthy. And thus, we should pay attention when we are warned here that some of us can have thorns of our riches and the pleasures of this life already seated in our heart. I'm just asking you, what's my point in going through all that, giving you those statistics? I just don't want you to instantly excuse yourself from the possibility of the riches and pleasures of life being a thorn that would choke out the word of God in your heart. Is that okay? Okay. Maybe you still don't like it, hallelujah, don't care that much, okay? Because Jesus said it, and, he, and he's warning us. And so the fact that you, um, <clears throat> you know, have food most of the time puts you far and above many folks in this world. And so uh, we are comfortable, and we do struggle here to not make an idol of our wealth and our richness, because what happens oftentimes, Proverbs says, is that the rich man will imagine his wealth, an unscalable wall. And so where we live, God has put us here in this time and in this place to be on mission for his glory and the, the preaching of his gospel. But every person in every place where God puts them has different challenges. We do not run around every day with sharpened sticks trying to catch our food. That's not our challenge. Our challenge is to try to not die of heart disease, right? So it's different. But we just need to be aware of the potential pitfalls that we have. And for those of us that are here that are rarely put in a situation where we really desperately need God's help, the thorns can oftentimes make it where we are fairly disinterested in what somebody has to say about the word of God because we have pretty much got it figured out. If you feel like you have no need of it, you'll not be hungry for it. Does that make sense? trying to hit it from every angle so that you see there's great potential for this among us. And we need to be careful of it. We need to heed the warnings of the master. Most of us in this room are far wealthier than the average human. I believe we will be judged more strictly on our generosity because Luke 12, 48 says clearly to us, to whom much is given, much is required. So not only do we need to be careful um, that we don't let our comfort choke out the desire for the Word of God, but we need to understand also, we're going to be held accountable for the fact that we have more than the average person. God did not put us here um, just so that we can wallow in that comfort and say, yay, bless me, bless me. If God has put resources in our hands, it's so that we can figure out how those resources will most effectively spread the gospel. You will be held more accountable than somebody in Liberia for what you have. To whom much is given, much is required. This is happy, isn't it? You're having a great time, aren't you? The four soils. Woo! Mark it down. That was a fun sermon. Part of the fun thing about doing expositional-type preaching, and this is not, we're not going um, verse by verse, but we're going parable by parable, is it forces me to not, I don't get the option to skip over the hard stuff, right? So even, not even that I would like to, because I like riling you up. So that's part of, like, God's special gift to you in me, but... Um, If if somebody did want to jump over this hard stuff, like doing it this way, it locks us in. It makes us come and deal. Jesus said this, so we should deal with it. Jesus said this, so we should care about it. Jesus said this, so we should desperately try to figure out what that means and how it applies to the way I'm living. Amen? Amen. Amen. So he talks about worries. He talks about riches. He talks about pleasures. Pleasures. And we are at a bit of a disadvantage because the founding document of the country that we reside in says that we all have an inalienable right, supposedly given to us by God, to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. <clears throat> Change happiness to God's will and I think it would be fine. But that's not what it says. The problem is that when we all define happiness through the lenses of our jacked up sinful desires, it leads many people to be to spend their whole life pursuing vain and empty things that in the end won't deliver what they promise. Just because a fish decides he'd be happiest flopping around on land instead of swimming in this dumb water he has to be in all the time doesn't mean that that's where he's going to be happiest. He's going to be happiest where it is God created him to be. That's in the water. You, human, you were made for God's presence. You were made for relationship with him and just because you decide you'd be happiest having just enough money to not have to work anymore and be able to pretty much fulfill whatever whim comes into your little head, just because you think that's where you'd be happiest, doesn't mean it is. You're going to be happiest in the midst of God's will and obeying him with every bit of energy you have. That's where your happiness will be found, so pursue that. Amen. A major part of my life is just working to convince you of that right there. Because when we keep pursuing happiness on our terms, we keep getting let down and that leads to a hardened heart because then we believe dumb stuff like, well, God's not faithful because I wanted this. That would have made me happy and I asked him for it and he didn't do it. So apparently he's not true to his word when the reality is God's a father. He's incredibly, way higher and smarter than we are and knows what's better for us than we could ever possibly know. And so... I know I use this analogy all the time, but it's just, it's, it's so pertinent. Like if Lucy had her way, um, you know, breakfast would be ice cream, lunch would be gummy bears and you know, their dinner would be, uh, cupcakes and there'd be a sucker in between those, right? Like, um, she, <laughs> I was going to say something about how she comes by that sweet tooth. But I'm going to leave it alone. Um, because I want to you know, be able to hug and kiss my wife later. So um, we'll skip over that. But uh, she likes sweets, right? And So she, from her limited perspective, like all she knows is when I put cupcakes in my mouth, it tastes good, yummy. Give me more of those, right? But as her parent who loves her, I don't want all of her teeth to rot out of her head and for her to have diabetes by the time she's four. And so I don't let her just eat cupcakes all the time because I know better than her. Sometimes what you refuse to do is understand that your position with God is the same as Lucy's with me. He knows that much more than you and infinitely more than than I do over my children. You understand that? The information gap is immeasurable. He's way, 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 way higher than we are and more well-informed some of that comes from the fact that he's eternal and outside of time and like can see the whole future. And so just like tracking with him is always a good plan. Because he, he kind of already knows how it's gonna go. So just get on his train and happiness will be found. <laughs> good, okay. At least half of you got that. We'll revisit it later, I'm sure. <clears throat> He mentions a fourth kind of soil. He says, some, that seed will fall on good soil. And hope how we should pray that we would be this fourth soil. God, I, just, I wish that the master would say of me that that's the kind of heart I have. And when he speaks, I listen. That when he speaks, I treasure every single word. That I'm not distracted by my own idolatrous pursuits. That I'm not worried and lack of faith doesn't choke out his beautiful word, that I'm not hardened in my heart because I I don't trust him, but that I would be fertile, soft, deep soil that every single seed he would see fit to sow into my heart would find a place to take deep root and there could be a harvest. And I know that every time that happens, it'll be for my good and his glory. I want nothing else but to be good, rich, fertile soil. When the master wants to invest seed into me that it finds a place, and it, and it causes a harvest. Um, and we see that the same call that is throughout all of the scriptures, that a real disciple will not just be a barren soil, content in its existence, but it'll bear fruit and produce a harvest to the glory of God. And so I've often said it to you this way, to know Jesus is to be called to share Jesus. To be a disciple is to instantly be called to make disciples. There's there's no disconnect. We don't get to just receive the beautiful grace and mercy of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone and just say, Woo, I made it. I'm good to go. I'm just going to enjoy this. You are instantly then drafted into the mission of letting somebody else know they have that option, of living a life that opens opportunities to be able to speak the truth of that beautiful gospel, That's what good soil is like. It doesn't just sit there and be soil. (laughs) Things are planted into it, and a harvest comes from it. When we have the Word of God rooted deep in our hearts, the Bible says that we're going to start to produce some specific things. Galatians 5 calls them the fruit of the Spirit. They are this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I now have things to repent of during communion. (laughs) I'm sure you don't. Um, I think it's interesting that of these nine fruit of the Spirit, seven are undeniably uh, directly to do with how we relate to other people. I think the two that could be debatable, which would be goodness and joy, uh, they could be argued for as well because they are examples that we, as we live those out, goodness and joy, they're examples to the unbeliever of the character of God the Father. But every one of those fruit of the Spirit, what God is preparing in us, what he's growing in us, is the be- ability to be able to do, really, it's all wrapped up in the first fruit that's listed, and that's love. What God is really doing and growing in us, his character is making us more able to be able to relate to others in a way that is loving. And the pinnacle of loving others is to live a life that speaks to them the truth of God's glory and opens to them a door to understand the gospel, and then being willing to share that with boldness. The very high point of love, the most loving thing you could possibly do for another human, is to let them know there's hope in Christ, to share with them this beautiful good news of the gospel. There's nothing else that comes close in rank. All of the other kind things that we do, all the other ministry meeting felt physical needs, all of the the other things that we do to try to exhibit these fruit of the Spirit, they are leading us to the great hope to have potential for being a part of that great expression of the highest fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And the, the greatest way we can do that is to share the good news of the gospel with somebody. That's what this is all about, and so when I am gentle and I am self-controlled and I do have joy even in the midst of craziness and I'm a peaceful person, what that does is it it speaks to those around me, to those that interact with me. It's sh- because those are the fruit, the fruit of the spirit. They're not natural. If you go to Galatians and you read that, if you go right above it, what's listed above it is a bunch of the the deeds of the flesh or the the things that. You will see if the Holy Spirit is not leading your life, if the the seed of the word of God is not deep in your heart. You'll see all kinds of stuff like drunkenness and promiscuity and all this stuff that's pretty much about just satisfying my own desires because away from God, that's what we are. We are selfish. And we will do what we see fit to try to pursue our idea of happiness. That's what it all comes down to. But once God comes and overtakes us, once he changes this heart, from rocky, barren, useless dirt to fertile, rich soil, and he begins to sow the seeds of his perfect word in there. What begins to change is that we have a desire to serve and care for others, to love others, to be selfless instead of selfish. We begin to follow the example of King Jesus, who set the highest bar as far as those things are concerned. That's what this looks like, and that's what this is leading us to. The fruit of the Spirit, they help us to relate to people in such a way that we have an opportunity to share with them the good news of the gospel. And and what I mean when I say that, in case you're not sure, um, when I say gospel, you just take that apart, what it really means is good news, and that good news is centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I I could go on and just tell you that, but in order to deal with the whole subject faithfully, I have to first do something that might offend you. I have to tell you the bad news. Let me just say first that I love you, but I need to tell you this. The bad news is that you are not good enough to get to God. In and of yourself, none of us can get to God. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that man was created perfect. God was perfect, and he created man perfect. But that what we decided to do instead of staying in relationship with him was reject him and rebel against him and disobey. And from that point on, sin has marred and stained the image of God that we are supposed to bear. Every single one of us are sinners by nature and choice. And because of that, we no longer have that perfect connection with God. Sin separates from God the Father. And so, unless you are perfect, you cannot get to God in and of yourself. And only crazy people think they're perfect. And so because we are all vibrantly aware that we don't fit into that category, uh, that can be considered really desperately bad news. I'm separated from God by my sin, and I can't fix it myself. What if that was the end of the story? It be a real bummer, but it's not. It's what the gospel is about. That's where the good news rushes in. That's why the good news is something worth laying your whole life down for. And figuring out every possible way you can share it with as many people as possible. Because it's, it's that beautiful. It's that important. It's the best news anybody could ever hear. Even though you're separated from God by your sin, Jesus came and made a way that need not be that way. He lived a perfect life that none of us could. See, he was tempted in the wilderness. We see that. But, but instead of giving in to that, he said, it is written. And push the devil back in the way that I I wish I did more often. And I want to do that better tomorrow than I did today, and better the next day and the day after. My hope is to be more like him every passing week. But in the meantime, I get to enjoy the grace and the forgiveness that comes through his finished work. Not only did he live a perfect life, did he never sin, even though he was tempted, just like we are. What that meant is that somehow in God's economy, he was able to Count it justice that Jesus could go and pay the price that I should have paid. Innocent, perfect, sinless Jesus goes and is murdered in my place for my sins. And because he was willing to shed that perfect blood, God saw fit to let me partake in that by faith. The chasm between God and I, I could have never, ever I could have never got over there. I couldn't get back to him. I was hopeless without Jesus. But he came and he made a way that it didn't have to be that way. And so he did. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He paid that atoning price. But the Bible tells us that because of his perfection, because of God's sovereign plan and, and the power of life over death, death couldn't hold him. That he defeated death. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And that he, he spoke to his disciples and he told them what was going on and he launched them out to share that good news with everyone they possibly could. And you and I sitting here today is a result of that. That ping has gone out through the centuries and it finds us here today still carrying that same torch, still carrying that same beautiful good news that Paul and Peter and James and John were. And, and the urgency is no less, it's more because we are many days closer than they were to the end of all this. I don't know when it is. I won't presume to try to figure it out. I don't have a chart to try to give you of when this whole deal wraps up, but I know I'm, I'm closer today than I was yesterday, and so there's an urgency in my heart. People need to know this gospel. People need to know, and the best chance you're going to have to get to share it with them is to live a life that is vibrantly connected to Jesus. It's beautiful in Acts. There was A couple guys, that um, they kept talking about Jesus, and and the Sanhedrin didn't like that because it was making their influence less. And so they called him in, and they they said, if you don't quit talking about Jesus, we are going to murder you. And just so you know that we're really serious about it, we're going to whoop you right now. And so they did. They beat him down. And uh, what happened in the course of all that, though, is it was very clear that... um, they didn't kill him right then, they just threatened him about it because they were, they were very afraid for two reasons. One, these guys already had influence with the people because they had seen um, the life of God that they were living. But secondly, it was apparent even to those enemies, here's what it said, that these were unqualified, untrained men. These guys were uneducated, they did have any of the pedigree that the other guys had, but it was clear that they had been with Jesus. That gave them influence. That gave them anointing. That gave them power. And so my encouragement to you today is be with Jesus. Just be with him. Spend as much time with him as you can. Redeem your commutes, man. When you're in your car driving along, you know, take that time. And and don't physically read your Bible while you're driving, okay, because that's super dangerous. That's probably worse than texting, okay? But um, you can pray during that time with your eyes open. Um, thank God that we don't now have to drive to a special temple in some special place where God's presence is, but that that veil that used to separate God and man, that it tore from top to bottom when Jesus did what he did on the cross. And now, in my car, I can approach God the Father anytime I want to. And he will incline his ear to hear me. And he will talk with me. Me. Me? Me? I'm the least deserving of his ear. I am the least deserving of access to his presence, and yet he would grant me that. He welcomes me happily. How many times do we treat that unmatched privilege as if it's some common thing? Or even worse, sometimes we treat spending time with God in prayer like a duty to be checked off of a list. That is grotesque. To spend time in his word as if that's, among the other chores, like doing the dishes and the other drudgery of life. Do you in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Do you understand that every time you crack open that Bible, that you are convening with with Christ Himself, that you are spending time. I, use, I I oftentimes have like envied the disciples because they got to be with Jesus during those few years, and they could, like sit around the campfire and like just hear Him speak, and like they were there to hear Him break down this this uh, parable for them, and, and like they, they, they heard the teaching directly from His mouth. And so like many times I've like I've envied them because that would like be so great. But the reality is, the Scriptures are pretty clear that we sit in a more privileged position than they did. Because we have the entirety of the counsel of God's word. We see the whole thing. Our faith should be greater. Our zeal should be greater than even those men who sat and looked into the face of the master as he spoke these things. Because we see the whole story. We see how it unfolds. We not only have the instructions of Jesus, but we have the inspired epistles that tell us how that applies to our life and how we walk that out. And we have the beautiful book of Revelation that tells us, I don't know when this thing is ending, but when it does, team Jesus wins and everyone else loses. And so that's pretty exciting. And I'm on that team. He let me on that team. Are you still, is there still fire in your belly when you think about that? If there's nothing, Christian, shake yourself. If you're not sure if you're on that team, then today, please, I invite you to Christ. Surrender yourself. You'll not find happiness anywhere else. Enough men and women have gone before you searching for happiness in other places to tell you. Their witness would tell you. There is only death and there is only hopelessness anywhere other than in the arms of the God who loves you. So please, just bow your knee today. Surrender to him. Let him have his way with you. And I cannot guarantee you that what will happen from there is ease. As a matter of fact, I can guarantee you that won't be what happens. But what you will have is purpose. And you will have the privilege of his presence. And you will be a part of the greatest mission that any human could ever be a part of. And that is reconciling broken people to the God that made them. You're invited to that today. You're invited to re-up today. If if you've been in that, but your zeal for it has waned, if the thorns have come and they've choked out that fire and that passion you used to have for Christ, that's unacceptable. Be ye hot or cold, lukewarm, I'll spit out of my mouth. I love you, that's why I'm pushing you on this. Check yourself, don't just assume you're in the right category. Don't just assume that the soil of your heart is rich, fertile, and deep. Take the time today. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what might be standing in the way of you receiving the seed of God's word and the instruction of his spirit. Because there's three ways this goes bad and one way it goes good. And so just statistically, there's potential for there to be an issue in our hearts on this. Do you see what I'm saying? Why am I belaboring the point? I know, listen, I can see your eyes. I realize how far... I've gone and how long it's going. I'm pushing you on this because I desperately love you. And I really, really, I want you to think about this. And I want you to be open to the Holy Spirit inspecting you about this and instructing you on it. Because I don't want you to just assume that you're okay. Because one of those great lies of the devil is that you're just okay. That it's cool. I can just... I got kind of float along here. I can be apathetic that, you know, I don't have to be as zealous and passionate as those, those crazy Christians that seem like they're really engaged with their faith. Listen to me. There are, listen to me, there are no lukewarm Christians. Do you understand what I just said to you? You'll be spit out of his mouth. I love you. Don't be lukewarm. Understand to be a part of this thing is to be called to be a disciple maker. Don't only be concerned with the soil of your own heart, but the person sitting next to you in that cubicle, in your classroom, where you work, where you go, your family, let a passion for the lost overtake you. If you're connected to Jesus, really, then you're going to care about the lost. If you want, to, you want help trying to understand where you're at as far as your heart is concerned, think about lost people that don't know Jesus what happens what initially what happens immediately is there apathy there or instantly does your heart sink the way that it would if someone you really love and care about you found out they just got hurt that you know that sinking feeling I'm talking about it's like oh god you can feel it physically there should be emotional response for us there it should be it should hurt us to think that there's people on our street people on our, at our work people that we know that we walk by every day that do not have the hope of Christ, it should matter to us. We should not be so concerned with seeking the pleasures of our own life or building up our own little kingdom or or or, or be so consumed with the worries or be so hard. That we don't care about any of it. Um, it should matter to us a lot. And so I just encourage you to that today. I invite you to it today because I realize it seems like this big call, and it seems like this heavy demand, but Jesus said very clearly, his burden is light, that the, 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 the burden of sin is heavy, and that's, sometimes we don't see that. We think that, like, the light and easy way to go would just be to do what we want, but if you can really sit back and see things through the eyes of God, and, and he sees things right, to be away from him, trying to walk through this life without him, that's heavy and hard. But even though to be with him means we are saddled with the responsibility of gospel mission, it is still so much lighter and so much better. Because what we have is, is not reliance completely and totally on our own strength. What we have then is the hand of Almighty God and his strength. And there is no load that he can't lift. I love you. Let's, um, let's just pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to tell the truth, that you were willing to not pull punches, that you were willing to speak to people that were directly in front of your face about the condition of their own heart, that your love for them caused you to tell them the truth. And so, Lord, please let us accept um, the warning you gave those people with the same level of zeal and passion as they did today. Lord, help us please not to just excuse ourselves, not just to assume that we're that fourth soil, but to see that we are all prone to have one of the other three issues going on. And Lord, help us to re- realize that <laughs> the condition of, of our heart can change, that just because we were that that fertile soil at one time doesn't mean that we are continually there, but that we have to constantly till and pull up thorns and pay attention and be sensitive to your spirit that having it right at one time doesn't mean we get a free pass forever. Lord, help us to look forward to working in the soil of our heart with the help of your spirit. Lord, help us not to be afraid of being honest with ourselves. Lord, some of us are not even willing to take that look down into our hearts because we're afraid of what we'll find there. God, I ask that you would lift that fear from these people. Lift that fear from me. Lord, let me know that if what I find inside of me is not only good fertile soil, that's not reason for condemnation, but that I have a promise of your help to change it. Lord, I thank you for your word. I do value it. It is precious to me. It is the bread of life. Lord, help us all to treat your word with reverence, to never, ever let it be. like a chore. That's so dumb. God, how do we ever get there? I think it has much to do with the soil of our heart, much, much to do with pursuing those pleasures, much to do with this schedule that we so often elevate to a place of godhood and prevalence that it doesn't deserve. Lord, for some of us, we are so overtaken with the demands of this life that we would not even know where to start to begin to try to balance and make it better. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring wisdom into those situations. God, help us not to be so busy that time for you becomes a chore and not a pleasure just sounds ridiculous when it even comes out of my mouth that that happens, but it does. If we're being honest, Lord, it really does. So please help us with that. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies